those maybe um, maybe ten thousand people from San Francisco down to um, Pescadero, all on the beach, and there was a shooting there this week, and the shooting more than any other shootings, because of course there are gazillions of shootings, um, the the shootings made me very sad because this is the kind of community where this never should have happened. And the guy that did it was 68 years old. He worked at a mushroom farm and he turned himself in at the sheriff's substation. So it's not like, you know, he was um, an incel or something like that. He was a man who had worked on a mushroom farm for two decades or whatever, and he had basically had enough. And this, for me, led to the question of, have we totally lost all empathy? And if so, what is going to happen to our society? Because I cannot explain this by saying, um, by saying that we're going to have, we're going to do gun regulations. And I can't even explain it by saying, we're going to do mental health help. You know, the one, there it is, living in shipping containers. Okay, so that's how I figured we would begin a discussion of empathy. Because if you look up the definition of empathy, and I'm going to get around to changing over to Club Deck and and putting it on my other microphone, but it's so totally unimportant to do that compared to having this discussion. Because for me, the question is, what is empathy? Do we have enough of it? Who needs it? Who has it? And, and what will it do for our society? I'll start, I'll give you one more example. And that, that other example is um, someone that we all know from Clubhouse has been homeless. He moved to a new city. Something didn't come through for him. And he ended up with like $2 and no place to stay overnight. And a woman on Clubhouse um, decided that she was going to help him. And she started Jane Rosenzweig, and she start she started a GoFundMe for him. And within a day, she had raised twenty two hundred dollars for him. And so my question is: Did this money come from people with empathy, people with sympathy, people with guilt? You know, go well, <laughs> talk among yourselves while I try switching yeah. this over. Dr. Francine, I I contributed quite a bit to the GoFundMe, uh, not knowing his situation, so I did not know that. I just knew he needed help, and I did it out of empathy. I, I didn't have any context, so I could not have any sympathy. So it was just out of trust and empathy that I did that. But I think, I think what is missing in society, in particular in US, is social emotional learning. It's gone it's gone out the window. I'm I'm part of a I'm on a board called Equip Our Kids as a nonprofit board where we're training teachers to uh, deliver social emotional learning and parents uh, to their children because it's it's not it's not there. It is in Canada, but it's not in the U.S. In most schools, um, to really, to really um, create that empathy, create that understanding, and and uh, those uh, soft, 
what people call soft skills, what, what, what I would call empathetic behavior, right? Um, so yeah, so there is a trend that's happening that is that somebody or all of us need to declare a breakdown. There's a breakdown, you know? And it's not a band-aid fix where you just focus on mental health. It's a breakdown in empathy and, you know, yeah. All of these, if not most of these shootings, are men. I, I am now are men. in. I, I'm now women. in. Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead, Dr. Francine. Francine, you're muted. While we wait, I'll continue. Yeah, continue. Yeah. So, so what I see is that men are lost. There's a lot of men and boys that are lost and that's what we need to focus on. We're, and we're not right. Uh, it's not only mental health. It's really just feeling disconnected and debased and isolated and alone. And, um, I think that's really where we are. And there are, there are several books Michael Guren has written books. Dr. Leonard Sachs has written books about how we're losing touch with our boys, you know, in the U.S. and young men. You know, this disturbed me so much, Barbara, that I, first of all, I'm on Club Deck, but I still can't get the sound to come in through my Yeti microphone. You just have to choose the settings at the top, uh, right by your name at the top, the three bars three horizontal bars, and then you can choose the the input and the output. The the three bars are coming and going, but never mind. It's it's too hard. (laughs) I'm really concerned. You know, it's way more important. Um, Maybe you'll stay on with me for a few minutes afterwards. Of course. And, And then we can do this because I would like to do it. I own this equipment and I never use it. And this is a, a very, very important conversation because we were able to, it, it is men, first of all. That's, a, that's the first thing about this conversation. It, yes. is, it is men. And I'll, I'll tell you another story. Uh, and my, my, I have a friend who is, a, a man uh, like a, a year um, older than I am. And like me, he has had terrible back problems. And unlike me, he decided that because he wanted to play racquetball, he was at age 83 um, going to have back surgery. And he moved to Austin, Texas. He's divorced. He's um, had a falling out with his son. So he is down there by himself, living by himself. And every once in a while, I talk to him and he let me know that he was having the surgery. And me, I am um, an empathetic woman. And so I was like calling the hospital the entire day of the surgery to try to find out how he was doing. And I couldn't find him in the, in the um, hospital. They kept saying he's not assigned to a room. He's not assigned to a room. I of course thought that he was going to die. So I was waiting to, um, You know, it was just, I called all night until the following day. Finally, he was put in a room and he was in, because of course, they never tell you when you're having surgery, how much it's actually going to hurt because they don't know. But he was, he said he had never been in so much pain um, in his entire life. And... So I called him again and I called him again. And finally he said to me, I said, I I have to go. I'm running this clubhouse room, but I will 
call you, you know, tomorrow. And he said, please do. I need somebody to talk to. And I was like, you know, when we were younger, you were an athlete and you were dating younger women and you never paid any attention to me because I was your age. And, you know, and you, you were looking for eye candy, but now you're looking for empathy. And, and if I were a person that held a grudge, I would say, well, you know, you're by yourself for a reason. But you know what? I never feel like that. I always feel like, oh my God, if I can help in any way I possibly can, because I the thing that I see, which I think is the difference between empathy and sympathy, and I think this is a particularly woman-like characteristic, um, I, I can... I can imagine how he must feel in that hospital by himself. You know, I, I just have a perfect picture of what happens or, you know, a perfect picture in my mind may not be true, but it's, it is a per perfect picture in my mind of what he must be feeling while he's, it, you know, while he's laying in the hospital bed all by himself you know, wondering if he did the right thing, wondering if he's ever going to recover, wondering how long it's going to take, what, you know, all these f fears, you know, and, and things that happen to you when you're all by yourself. And so because I have a tendency to like visualize, I don't so much visualize um, my own situations, but I sure can visualize other people's situations and and then I try to visualize what they might want you know maybe it's a phone call maybe it's a visit maybe it's nothing but you know usually it's some kind of reach out you know and and I and I try to produce it whatever it is and and try try to like Go ahead, Heyman. I see you unmuted. Oh no, sorry, I, I didn't unmute. And you're a doctor, so uh, no. I mean, I sorry, I didn't unmute, but I was just um, no. Um, I mean, I just added this article up there, but uh, I think generally, uh, I think we mentioned this like last show. One thing I've noticed in the um, in the elderly populations, especially after they retire, women uh, tend to do, be okay because they have other activities in their life. Right? They kept the family together, oftentimes. They keep the families together. Uh, they do the other duties, uh, not duties, but the other things that went along with raising a family and so forth. Uh, while men typically had their jobs, uh, had their network, their jobs created their network of friends or their friends from wherever sources. But when they retire, they feel lost. And they're the ones who are most lost, men. Um, and that could play a role in, and as the aging also goes forward, men do tend to die early too, right? So they lose a lot of their friends earlier than women too. So that's what I just observed. Yeah, well, the, I would add to that, Heyman, is that women tend to be more other-oriented. And, and, and these are not just, you know, weakness or strength or anything. It's just different, right? It's just different that we even seen it inside corporate, you know, where we see women being more the caretakers and caring for people and their well-being and so on. And then we see it in our personal lives as well. And uh, in retirement, women actually get busier, you know. They, they expand their community, they get involved. and They run also, clubhouse rooms. They run clubhouse <laughs> rooms, all kinds of things, right? Uh, and you're right, Heyman, men that retire, like some, some of you know that my husband's a judge, He's 68 years old. He plans to uh, work till he's 75. Uh, but his friends have retired, and he tells me, I saw so-and-so. He's, you know, I hadn't seen him for six months. He's aged 10 years since retirement. Like, he can hardly walk now. It was just, it was just sounded so sad. And that's kind of been a pattern throughout. 
you know? So um, anyway, back to the empathy thing and the shooting thing. I think empathy is going to be the new leading conversation in this world of ours. How do we exercise that muscle? How do we develop it? It tends to be, and Bonita, feel free to add in, it tends to be more of a natural tendency for women and uh, for men. Uh, you know, the, the, the prefrontal cortex is larger in women, more dense, which is the consequence of thinking of the brain. And the amygdala, which are actually two amygdalas in our brain, are larger in men. And that's the fight and flight um, uh, type of situation. So when men are under stress, they either act out or they isolate, you know. And uh, so and women to, tend to go tend and befriend because they need to rebuild the oxytocin, uh, which is their, you know, their peace, peaceful befriending hormone. Right. Um, so let's we need to understand these things. Let's take it back a minute, Barbara, and define empathy and the difference between empathy and sympathy, because I looked it up before I ran the room, um, just, you know, for shits and giggles, and the definition of empathy is surprising because it has three parts there are three types of empathy who who's goldman barbara you would know i don't cognitive empathy is the ability to understand another's perspective yeah it's daniel goldman yeah i know him emotional empathy the ability to physically feel what another person feels and empathetic empathic concern, the ability to sense what another needs from you. So I think that's, that's kind of interesting because there are If you add those three together, they're supposed to equal emotional intelligence. That's right. Yeah. You know, it's funny. Daniel Goleman, he coined the the term emotional intelligence. And when his book came out, I asked him, are you sure you're not talking about women's uh, differences? And he said, yes, I am. But I wanted to sell books. (laughs) So he called it emotional intelligence. So, well, that's cool, but I think I know some men who have it, <laughs> David. I do, too. I do, too. I know many. Heyman right there. Yeah, Heyman is very emotionally intelligent. He's mm-hmm. very empathetic. In fact, I would say that Heyman is empathetic to a, um, almost to a fault in in, like, giving up his life to help other people. Yeah. I mean, there's a spectrum, right, in this. Um, I reread a book called, sorry, my Danish is going to kick in when I say this, but Warriors versus Warriors, right? And it was a gender difference, that very, very thick, dense, deeply researched book. And what she found was that boys... Part of it is culture being brought up a certain way, and part of it is the hardwiring of the brain, tend to be more in the warrior's type of fight and flight situation. And women tend to be more worrying about things. Just like your example about your friend, you were deeply worried about him and you couldn't find him, etc. right? Um, so sometimes we fall into these traps. And sometimes women over-worry about things. I over-worry. Uh, yeah, me too. Yeah, I fall in that trap for sure. Bonita, is there anything you want to add to this conversation? So far, I'm pretty consistent with uh, with everything I, you know, think about. I'll, I will add that again, giving a stronger emphasis to um, that often women, and again, not all women, but often women look through the lens of how do we connect. And also, and whereas more men are more likely to be looking through the lens of, of status and who's up and who's down and how do I negotiate that? 
Uh, and I think this is a great example. I mean, what how you've been talking about this. Um, the one other thing that I wanted to add um, was that uh, in the connection, there's, well, in your work particularly, Barbara, you focus on the divergent thinking and the convergent thinking. Um, and one of my favorite um, comments from a, uh, Joe Bowler, who's a professor at Stanford in in um, mathematics education, she says that girls have a higher standard for understanding. And we keep asking questions and keep wanting to know more. And I think that uh, that having that kind of um, curiosity or interest or caring, if, caring interest, wanting to know more about what's going on um, is part of um, the expression and um, result of empathy. Okay, how, how then do we use empathy to, to stop all these random shootings? Because I really believe that, I don't know, you can call it empathy, you can call it isolation, you can call it anomie, you can call it anything you want to call it, but the, the reason we're... The reason that the suicide rate is up, you know, at 3% or something like that, and the reason that it's mostly men, and the reason, I looked all this up, I, you know, actually, I was talking to my therapist about this yesterday, and we were looking at who was committing suicide, how much the suicide rate had gone up, and what states the suicides were in in the United States? Because, of course, in, in other countries, people don't have the sophisticated weaponry that we have, and they can't off themselves quite so easily. But let's let's just assume that um, we are we are in the United States, and we are looking at it's men who have their suicide rate has gone up. Uh, 3% between um, 2020 and now, and the states where they live are the states, I don't know what to call them. I want to get rid of some of these, these, you know, these either ors, like, you know, men versus women or, or red versus blue, but what, how would you characterize Montana, Wyoming, uh, Nevada, and I've forgotten what the New Mexico. My, Montana, Wyoming, Nevada, Nevada, New Mexico, and um, Idaho. Those are the states where um, where maybe we could call them the sparsely populated, the less populated states or the more sparsely populated states. Hi, Dr. Francine. Thank you. This is Dr. Elizabeth. Thank you for asking me up. I do have some insights simply because I'm reading Chris Voss's book on negotiation called Never Split the Difference. And he made a really interesting point. I just started the book, but he basically went to Harvard negotiation session and he was able to flip everyone who wanted him to buy something. Immediately, he, he, they basically gave away the barn. And all of these people were logical, linear, analytical. They had a five-step process. They knew what they were doing, but he kept flipping them. And because of that, that led to his writing of this book. And basically, he said that very often in business, we will approach things from a very linear, logical, rational uh, perspective. But when you're dealing with people who are um, taking people hostage or they're threatening to take their life or they're threatening to, to shoot up a place, it's, it's uh, approaching them like they're a rational, logical being is not the answer. It's really um, moving into the other side of their brain. And I know Barbara can share this much more eloquently in the sense that it's more the primal, emotional, and base instincts. And it's it's not and it's it's asking questions and um, it's saying well how am I able to do this 
uh, versus telling them what to do. So I just wanted to share that because you, when we're and and that whole process of tapping into not only the logical but more in in terms of our base needs and, and base instincts is something that I think some people who are empathetic in a bigger picture really are able to um, to leverage, for lack of a better word, and I'm complete. Yeah, thank you, Dr. Elizabeth. I think the, I mean, the, the, the basic human need out there is to be heard and understood, right? There's nothing that pains people more not to be heard and understood. And I think if we can create more of that empathetic listening uh, and I know Chris real really well um, is, is so important, but but we we're not born with it, you know. I mean, I think women partially are born with it, but I also think there's a learned behavior here, and I think we need to reach. That's why I'm on the board of Equip Our Kids because I really believe we need to start in kindergarten, you know, the, with the social, emotional, empathetic learning, and 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 have parents learn how to do that too. Um, so. We need to create that critical mass and that paradigm shift. I think it's so needed today. I'm uh, now. This is Lou. Sorry, is it was it Barbara speaking? Yeah. Yeah. Hi. I disagree on a little thing that you said that we are not born with it. Actually, we are. Empathy is in innate. We are born with empathy. Uh, empathy can. I'm with you. Sorry. Sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. I said I totally agree with you. Keep oh, going. Yeah. oh, oh. Sorry. I I thought I, I understood the opposite. Then I then I apologize. So, but uh, so it, we are born with it, and 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 it goes back from uh, from a, a sociological point of view. If you think about it, if you wouldn't want, we won't have empathy. We wouldn't. We won't be able to survive. So it it correlated to to, to a survival uh, mechanism, but it can be teach as well and it has to be as we were saying it has to be teach when you are a child because if you start to try to teach empathy uh when an empathy never occurred which should it should or at a certain level already be present and a, and, and a different level uh being uh every everybody's different so everybody will have different level of empathy and and women agree will have more but because then the nurturing part come also to play a role in it but it's true women tend to have to show more empathy compared to men statistically but having said that all all human beings should have empathy different level of when there when there is a total lack of empathy then we are talking about a problem i mean a psychological problem if the real total lack of empathy is present and you can see that that's why it's very important to monitor your child you can see that at an early age and you can establish and have to establish it and at an early age if you will have to have a functioning human being a functional society and uh I want to add two more things that I I keep on seeing these this keep on coming up this misunderstanding between sympathy and empathy. They are not the same. Uh, I make a very simple and stupid example, maybe. So I apologize if it's so stupid. But let's say you you walking, you meet a friend, and you ask how he's doing, and he's starting telling you, oh. I'm going to a hard time and uh, I got fired and uh, this is really bad. So then you, you, you're telling, oh, I'm very sorry uh, uh, if there is, and, and you are sorry for, for him. And I wish I could help you. If there is something that I can do for you, please just, you know, just ask me anything. Then you go home and you're okay and you forget it. You, you forget, I mean, it's, 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 you're not thinking about him. It's not, you know, it's not saying all, all, all your, in your head and you go on with your life. And of course, you're there for, for him when he, if he will call you and you need it. That's sympathy. Empathy is when you really feel inside yourself the pain that the other person is feeling. It's like you are experiencing yourself. And then you will ask me, uh, how do you distinguish? Uh, how is it that that you say you feel it when it's sympathy and when you don't feel it. Because if you are really empathic, when you go home, he stays with you. And he stays with you the coming days. And you will do all you can to help that person. And you will suffer 
if that person is not feeling better because you will feel ease over pain. You feel it as is, is your own. Then you have another one, which is a dangerous one, I would say. You have toxic empathy. And that is when you have you are such an empathic being that you are doing the most to help the other person to the cost to the cost of yourself. So you're doing everything for somebody else uh, at your own cost. Uh, so you you are not the priority. This is not good. Uh, you have to be empathic. Empathy is extremely important. But you, we are first. If we cannot take care of ourselves, you can. We cannot take care of, of others. It's called toxic empathy. And uh, you, yeah, we need to be able to recognize this one as well. Thank you. Okay, I want to hear from Ben Dover. So I invited him up to the stage, but right now I would like to do something that I do once or twice a year. I'm going to reset the room. And you may be asking me, why are you doing that? And the reason I'm doing it is that I am moving this from a club to a house. And next week, you won't... Hey, Big Mommy, you want some sex? Thought that was going to happen. <laughs> that was going to happen. Okay. Um, <laughs> because um, the other person... I'm, yeah. I'm moving this from... <laughs> I, I thought that was going to happen, so I moved him to the audience. <laughs> okay. Sorry. So... Not a shock with Ben Dover. I know, and the following. <laughs> the you have so much empathy, you move him to the audience. I thought you were going to... Oh, out. no, I don't block. I don't, I don't ever block unless they're repeat offenders. Can I Even stand then. up for a couple of things? Can I stand up for... There are, are group differences and individual differences, and there are plenty of men that have empathy. And my, I have twin, boy-girl twins, and my son is way more empathetic than my daughter. And it, I've been it, waiting it, for you, David. Well, it, I, it, yeah, whatever. I didn't, I didn't, I'm not going to over-speak any doctors on the matter where I'm such a dilettante. But anyway, um, there, there are, are um, a couple of things about empathy and what just happened is that men are culturally taught to be stoic and, and repress their emotions from the generation that I'm from. Less so now with social emotional learning. And I'm not passing it on my kids, clearly. But, well, I, I won't take responsibility for how my twins are turning out. I'm only one piece of that puzzle. But back to um, raising the village here, um, I, I think empathy can be part of a predictive thing. you got to be able to use your theory of mind to to put yourself in a humbled good listening position and and i have a speech rule that i only really want to speak when i have value to add and so i i am going to sit when i was a younger person i i was quiet 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 and i was waiting to to make one very important question i happened to not realize this till i was in my mid-30s that a lot of how i turned out to be so empathetic as a male and i continue to play beach volley sports at a co-ed and and men's and and i i have addressed some of this stuff men are just more testosterone more aggression driven and at the same time that testosterone tells them that it's okay to lead a an emotionally repressed closeted not in touch with your own feelings and and just serve a role and I think that what's happening sometimes is these lone wolf incidents sadly become people who feel their failures and they have no friends. And they were they their failures at a level that they never had a coordinated system. They didn't have any diversified groups that come from church involvement through your kids. And, and some of that stuff is community. So when you don't have attachment to community, then there's not going to be any more signals and you're going to get in a feedback loop of your own negativity and that, that can be awful. And so whether it be, um, <clears throat> look, we're in an echo chamber of people that have probably a, a lot of emotional intelligence, especially on stage, probably the listeners as well. The problem is, is that it's not promoted in adulthood to, to open up. Like I spent 10 years as a financial advisor. I, got comfortable knowing 
and asking pretty personal questions. But I had to it was, it was an art form to, to figure out how to establish rapport with people. And I always learned it through reciprocity. If you're going to expect other people to be vulnerable or you want to ev- eventually be vulnerable in front of people, you have to show your own vulnerabilities and stop being so private. But I think boyhood to manhood, that adolescence is such a a not talked about because school is not an adequate place to talk about some of this stuff. And look at all the political hijacking of all this stuff with the internet being an ecosystem that young people are around all the time. I don't do. Do you remember them quoting how much porn young men have viewed before they get to like college? It's disgusting. So nobody really wants to talk about how that, 20 years on or five years on, or if, if they don't have real social connections and they see this fictionalized FOMO YOLO, I'm a loser because what are heroes to young people in adolescence are rock stars or they're athletes. They're people that are always too far away. They're not people in, in their community. So I'm also wondering, like David, I'm also wondering, like I'm curious though, because I think when we talk about empathy, what is the end result? What do we want to see? We don't all present empathy in the same way, right? Like, like I've had people who are very community. I would say we want community, a functional community. So, some of the dysfunction is because people are disconnected from community. That's what what I would say. Right, but community is different things for different people too, right? Like some people just go to a cafe and sit down and just talk about sports, and that's community for them, right? Could I just reset the room, Hamish? Oh, yeah. I meant to do it before David started, and I I want to reset the room because I'm switching Karma Club. We are switching Karma Club to Karma House, and next week, this room will be listed as the Karma House Weekly Hangout. And, and so if you are not a member of Karma House, you need to get on the waiting list. And there, there is a waiting list, and I will look at it all week long so that I'll see everybody who is on it and be able to get them admitted to the house. And... Hopefully, having but you know, with with Karma Club, I wanted to be just my friends, and it, it so far Karma Club is my friends, but Karma House will be only my friends, and you'll have to be a friend or a friend of a friend or recommended by somebody in order to get in. Now, why am I doing this? I don't have much trouble with trolls, but Clubhouse is doing it. Um, uh, That's an interesting question, David. Will recordings go away in houses? I don't think so, Um, but I'll figure out a way so that they don't because I I don't want them to go away. Um, But I think they're, I think they've added Uh, recordings to houses. I've tried very hard not to move over to a house until all the tools were in place. Um, And now I think they are. But oops, Frank says there are no recordings yet. Okay, well, then I don't know. Well, hmm, Heyman, what do you think? Uh, About recordings? Yeah. Uh, well, I mean, we're okay because we're uh, recorded. Uh, I mean, we multicast, we right? Because we record on call-in, right? Right. We no, and and Clubhouse too. But I mean, we multicast, so ours is uh, automatically edited and podcasted too, right? For other mediums, other accessibility reasons, so people can actually reach us any time of the day. Um, but if we become, but if we come a house. I don't know. Uh, well, I mean, technically, it's still because through me or uh, it technically leaves that space, right? But the only thing is, the question is, is that people who enter houses are under the impression that it won't be recorded, right? The people who come in with that impression, they have to be informed. No, I'm, I'll case. make public rooms. Oh, okay. A, because that's the only thing room. for privacy reasons. Like some people would prefer to open up in a closed space. And that yeah. you have to make a decision on that, basically. Uh, well, this weekly topic. hangout will be, I mean, anyone will be able to open up rooms, but this will be 
a weekly, the weekly hangout will be a public room. Mm -hmm. So, and we're all going to learn together. Dr. I might be series of learnings. I might be wrong, but I think um, if you want discoverability, uh, you'll take a room from a house and open it up, and then people get these like red tickets because that's discoverable. But when you do that, that's taking a room from a house that can't be recorded into a place that a then hypothetically bend over could join us. Um, that's so. So so again, I I was just asking from the functionality if you want it to be recorded. I think it has to stay start public, not in a house. Is, is, is I might be wrong there. And then if it's, it, Heyman, do you have a, another platform that? Because what we could do is record it. We're on calling. We're on calling as well. We've been on calling call for the that beginning of on that. last right. year. That produce a link that because when you're in a house after the room's over, people in the house can go and click on the recording, uh, whatever a link because you can put that in a house, right? Right. The the, the whatever message that. Well, this is what I'm going to find out. And if it doesn't work, we can, you know, we can do something else. But I, I want to um, move forward with <laughs> the, the best technology or maybe um, not the best technology, but the technology that Clubhouse seems to be giving the most visibility to. Well, because if- I think we're having some really powerful discussions in here yeah and also and, to francine uh, just wondering though because i think uh, the key thing i think we need to ask is also i mean in context of this empathy talk too right like and please everyone chime in is what's the impact that we want and i was just reading an article i just posted it up there it's uh it's about how uh, i don't know uh, barbara or bonita or anyone who who's familiar with this i don't know whether you're familiar with there was this talk about oh sorry wrong one uh there was this talk about empathy being more of a selfish thing too uh whether it sort of does help or actually can contribute to more violence and there's also talk about empathy can cause uh more sinister stuff so I don't know, like, I mean, at the point of empathy, like we, we get people, right? For instance, from a medical standpoint, we, empathy is taught in the sense that uh, encouraged because you actually get to experience what the other person's feeling because they're the, the chief uh, person who understands their illness best, right? Their illness experience. So that's the only way you could help them is to understand them better. Uh, but you're actually doing something with it, right? So with the general population and us in this conversation, what do we do next? Like, are we having mission statements or do we, like, what do we take from here? That was what I was going to ask, you know, after we finished resetting the room. So thank you. Right. That was very helpful. What do we do? Can I say something? Sure. Um, a couple of things I've been listening for a while. Um, I think that, um, Empathy, forgetting for a minute what the what the ratio is between nature and nurture, because I have no idea and I'm not sure anybody else does. But, um, you know, I think that when I think that not just sympathy, but empathy actually can be taught pretty early on to your children by example. Um, you know, you can say that you're sorry for, you know, uh, I don't know, you can send money to a cause and suggest to your child when they're old enough that, you know, that's something good to do and why it is, but actually you take in 12 cats. That's what yeah, I you can do. You can do something like that. But, you know, actually what ended up happening is that when my daughter was pretty young, we did something called the run for Rachel. Actually we walked because I couldn't run and she was too young, which was to help fund um, services, including a safe house for women and children who were victims of domestic violence. So she actually saw it in action, um, as opposed to just knowing that mommy and daddy write a check at the end of the year to a philanthropy. And, um, and you know, we saw that we were making some kind of an impact because when she was bought misfit at 13, she actually included a note in her invitation saying, please consider a gift to any of these three uh, uh, organizations in lieu of a gift. Uh, I almost had a heart attack and I almost cried because I thought, wow, okay, it's working. But the other thing I would say is that I think empathy is also, um, you know, Dr. Francine, I've listened to you, you know, for a while in many rooms. 
I think we're of similar vintages. I think real empathy and what to do for another person or not to do is also born of experience. And my example of this is that, you know, I knew I had friends and family who lost family members. And, you know, I did what was expected of me. We paid a shiva call and we brought food to the shiva call and, or we went to the funeral and what have you. When I, after I lost my dad, you should maybe what explain I to people what a shiva call is. Oh, okay. So in the Jewish religion, um, the, the person who's died is buried within 48 hours. And then for a week after, um, friends and family visit the grieving family in order to offer support. And I guess it's a little bit like awake because people end up, you know, t- talking about the person who's gone and their memories of them. And, um, you know, it's a, it's, a, it's a way to support the family so that they can go on, so that instead of being, you know, only focused on the grief, that they can begin to see, you know, what what life on the other side of it is going to look like. What I discovered when I did, and I did that, but what I discovered after my dad died, and I was 28 when he passed away, he died young. What I discovered was that when I, I the real grief started after all that was over, like a month later when I was, it really settled in that there was this emptiness now in my life, somebody that I'd really, really loved and I was really close to. And I just, I was, I was in such a, a bad place. And a friend of mine came over with a home-cooked meal and sat and had dinner with me. And what I decided was that I was going to start to do that because I now understood, not for everybody, but I understood that there's a hard part that comes later after everybody leaves and that often there's nobody there. I mean, sometimes, you know, you have children and what have you, but oftentimes there's, and even if there are children, there's kind of nobody there. And so I only understood that or recognized that because I had the experience. I'm not saying it's right for everyone, but I think that I think that empathy is an outgrowth of experience, not necessarily, obviously, if you're not paying attention to what's going on in your life and you're not in touch with yourself emotionally, not. But I really do feel that my ability to empathize and have a better sense of what to do or what not to do is a result of the life experiences that I've had. Well, I, I think that's partly true, but it's p- partly, it's more than that. You know, the best discussion is happening in the chat between Marcus and Frank, because they, they are talking about whether we should be talking empathy or trust. And to me, those are not the same thing. But maybe they are to Marcus and Frank. That, that's one thing. And then the other thing is, um, is that what do we need? You know, back to what Heyman was saying, I want to get into the solutions area, even if it takes another week of discussion. What do we do to either promote empathy, promote trust, um, or or let's let's bottom line it, Doctor uh, Francine? I'll I'll try to give a riff on this trust thing. Is if you imagine that you're in a relationship with someone that that calls you names or doesn't believe in you, and you put in all the emotional effort to stay in a relationship let's say you have kids for with them and they never at the bottom line is, is they gave up that currency that the relationship requires is mutual trust is that they never gave you anything empathetically to put back in the tank. And, and so empathy deals in a form of trust. If it, to be vulnerable, to share your honest hardships and failures because look when people go postal it's because they they clearly have have no good relief valve and it's blown over and they've gone to that that primal part of their brain that's not thinking the way that you would do if you were in the normal societal the way our brains are socialized to be social beings they there it's antisocial to go murder a bunch of people 
So trust, clearly they're not any point of trust. They don't trust in themselves and they're going psycho. This whole thing started with that, that how do you explain these horrible things? You don't do it in a rational way. So I think trust is the currency, the at its core, what's valued in a relationship. That when you lose that, you don't have a relationship. What's wrong with war in Ukraine and in Russia and the West and this and that? It, it's trust. It's the currency. It's the way you measure empathy. I would call it trust. So in that that framework, that's, I think, what do they mean? Well, uh, I, Andrea, I want to hear from Andrea and I want yeah. to hear from Colleen and Lulu. Yes. Uh, tell You tell me the order because you are, I'm sorry, David, but you are mixing up a lot of things. You're making a lot of confusion. No, no, no offense, but uh, again, uh, it seems to me that uh, <laughs> nobody knows what is empathy. Uh, but uh, Dr. Francine, please go ahead uh, with, with with the order that you want, and I and then I will also answer your question: or How can we create more empathy? Uh, just please to tell who you want to speak first, because I don't want to interrupt anybody. Oh, please go ahead, Lulu, and then we could go to Andrea next. All right. So, um, I, um, David, the things that you were saying they are correct, but they, they make sense in 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 a different situation. And and trust and losing trust in in and you made a specific example, but it can be for everything. Uh, it doesn't come from empathy. It's not correlated. It's, it's your life experience and you had a bad experience and then probably you lose the trust that you previously had. You, then that can happen. Empathy is, again, feeling what the other person is feeling. So the, if the other person is feeling sad and is telling you, you feel the sadness. And actually, it doesn't even have to tell you. You feel the sadness. If if it's happy, you feel the happiness. It's, empathy is not only on the negative emotion, it's also on the, on the positive emotion. It's this thing that you are able to feel it, to and to feel it. And, and so if the other person is suffering, the suffering is your own. Otherwise, if you are, want to help and you are there for the other person, that's sympathy, which is also very good. So may, maybe we should... Focus more. Let's let's focus on 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 sympathy first to try to create human beings that have sympathy at least. And empathy is made when you are a child. So it's the work of the parents, as Barbara, I guess, was saying, and the teachers. And since when they are very young, they have to inter inter interconnect, interrelate with the, with the other kids. And actually, it happens naturally. If you go to the kindergarten and you and you see a kid and maybe a, a child fall, fall down and start to cry. How many times do you see that also other children start to cry themselves? A lot of times. That is empathy. They they without knowing the child, the other ch children feel. Oh, he's in distress to feel the distress of their school fellow and they start crying. That's pure empathy in the purest form because it's innate. Then you have to nurture it, of course, and that comes teachers and parents. So we have to start from there. So I, the the currency of of empathy being trust. I don't. I totally don't uh, understand it. This connection. This connection with has nothing to do with trust. It's something you feel. It's coming from from inside you, and you can teach it again when you are young. If you are old, you cannot teach it. If you lack any empathy, so it means if you feel, let's say, you see somebody on the uh, walking around and he fell. Fall, fall on the ground and he's in a lot of pain and maybe you call the ambulance but you're just standing there and deep inside yourself you're like oh well I don't give a shit oh, sorry I, sorry my words uh, I, I need to go home oh well even this, this have to happen this, this blah 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 is uh, bothering me no you know where I'm going that's you, you don't have it and you cannot create I have to ask you to um, <laughs> um, land your plane. Yeah, right. sorry. 
So because so, we've got three minutes and three people uh, still have to speak. You you ask you ask how can we create empathy? Uh, uh, again, child teaching children. When they are adults, that's very difficult to do it. What we can create and try to share more is sympathy. And I'm not sure that that's true, but I'm going to ask you to table that for next week because I want to hear from Andrea, Colleen, yeah. and Guta. And and the, the, yeah, and the last things is that I Stephanie said something like you you create empathy from experience that uh, you could, but but that's not true. Otherwise, if you only people that have, I don't know, had a, somebody that died or somebody that cancer Lulu. or whatever would have Lulu. to have. I, I need to ask you to mute yourself. Shut up. Yes, it's good. I will shut up. Thank you. <laughs> Andrea. Uh, thank you, Dr. Francine. I really regret uh, joining uh, so late, but I, I will listen to the replay. Um, and thank you for hosting this critical topic because it is uh honestly i think the basis uh well we could mix the waters even further and add the word compassion <laughs> but i don't want to get into another semantic debate uh but i know that leaders like the dalai lama and uh kaila shatiarti and many are calling on compassion for each other as one of the missing components <laughs> in our crazy busy world today so um I, in terms of action, and uh, I have many comments on this, but uh, partly I think uh, I somewhat agree with Lou, um, just in the sense that uh, it's a wonderful thing to instill in children who are still tend to be open-minded. Uh, I've worked on projects where we have developed games that uh, lead you through um, kind of their experiential role plays uh, where kids have to uh, take steps and um, uh, to like along the path of life of say a rural child in India or Africa and they have to they're faced with decisions along the way on this board game about what they have to do to stay in school or get kicked out of school uh, because the parents can't afford the school fees or they get married off early uh, and having you know that supported with educational uh, tools and discussions around that um, I think today with social media, one of the positive aspects of social media is the, easy, the easier sharing of these things. But then that also has a tendency to disconnect. There are wonderful programs like a Global Citizen Year for older students where kids can go off and spend a year working, you know, at, you know, cross-cultural exchanges are also helpful. But then, you know, right back at home domestically, um, you know, for me, it's about being able to relate and understand, even if I'm, I, I don't feel that person's emotions in that minute, I can at least empathize or see or relate to myself being in that position or, or, or potentially one day in that position, in which case that creates greater, uh, both patience and depth of, um, understanding if, even if it's not, uh, you know, a perfectly, even, even if I, haven't been in that situation before, or maybe it's not likely I would be. But even if I can just imagine that it creates some space and some pause, and I think allows greater understanding to enter. So that's how I've experienced uh, empathy. Uh, so I'll, I'll land my plane there because I want to make space for the other two speakers. But um, I think Thank you. Do you know a what? month we're, of talks. We're going to do more of this. Um, next week, and I want to especially invite Byron from the chat to join us next week because the chat has been amazing. I mean, first of all, and the, the whole discussion has been amazing, but, but there are so many people talking in the chat saying wonderful things that I have I have never, you know, I've never been able to um, look at the chat before because I've been doing this on my phone, but doing it on Club Deck is like a, a revelation to me where I can see the chat and I can see what people are saying and it is really amazing. Anyway, Colleen, Gouda, Colleen, you're next. 
Colleen? Ah, I just figured out how to unmute myself. Thank you so much, Dr. Francine. This is such a wonderful discussion. Um, Please join the Karma House. I will. I will. Um, Back in the mid-90s, right after the Columbine shootings, um, there were several other high school shootings that happened. And there was one in particular that was, there was an article, I believe, in the New York Times. It happened in Georgia near Atlanta that the shooting was stopped by, I believe it was a vice principal or principal who came into the cafeteria and approached the child and said, come on, son, give me the gun. And I thought about that for the longest time because I had children myself in high school at the time. And I wanted, you know, really to know how he did that. It must have taken a lot of courage, but listening to this discussion, I know he must have had tremendous empathy also for the child. And in my experience, empathy is a mutual experience in that the person having the empathy for the person in pain, the person in pain feels that empathy. Whereas in my experience with sympathy, it's not so much so. And so I just wanted to bring that up and um, help people to understand that. And in fact, those were two male individuals having empathy or an exchange of empathy in that situation. And it, it stopped the shooting. And then there was one more thing I wanted to say, and that is an example of sort of an empathetic system that has been developed in the city of Gresham, Oregon, near where I live. And what they've done is put together a staff of people to address homelessness on an individual basis and make the connections from one um, agency to another and follow each of those individuals through the system until they're completely into a safe and sustainable environment for themselves. And to me, that is bringing empathy all the way into a systemic approach um, to address some really serious issues in our society. So thank you for the time. Oh, you're welcome. Um, And you know what I'm going to do next week? I'm going to bring my book to this room and show you all how I developed empathy in later life. Um, I'll give you the spoiler right now. I became a foster parent. But Gouda, take us home. Dr. Francine, you're never too old to learn. (laughs) I hope so. Well, it's true. Uh, And I was listening. Sorry, I wanted to be at the beginning as well. But Dr. Francine, great room. And thank you for giving me space to speak. And uh, yeah, Lulu is brilliant and she gave a fantastic uh, explanation, right? But sometimes, I don't know, I want to think of uh, the power of empathy. It's like uh, when, like you said, at our ages, like when you are adult, when you cannot be so easily molded or taught or a lot of things like that. And... uh, what I feel is that a way I think for us to 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 exercise empathy is in the first place we have to be generous towards each other, we have to be open to each other, we have to be able to see the other, but not from our own perspective, to see them with their own eyes. And uh, I think Colleen, with that example of the the teenager and the the guy who approached, it's it's a bit like that, you know. It doesn't have to be good or bad. It just has to 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 embrace the other. I think, and I think that's you know how you exercise empathy, I think, in a community. 
Embrace the other. I, what a perfect thing to end on. Dr. I, Francine, it's Jocelyn. I didn't have a chance to speak. Can you please oh, show Jocelyn, me a little sorry. empathy? Sorry. <laughs> Thank you. If I may quickly say, I believe empathy is on the decline. Um, we saw recently with the Idaho, Idaho murder suspect, um, he claimed that uh, he um, has a, an in inability to feel emotion. So I don't believe everyone is born with empathy. I believe that, um, uh, as you know, Dr. Francine, I'm a victim of torture. And I've been writing a book about this and I've been researching this. And a study I came upon showed that um, individual with psychopathy imagine if they imagine others in pain, brain areas necessary for feeling empathy and concern for others fail to become active. So not everyone uh, has this the capacity to feel empathy. I believe that we need to do more to study this. We need to do more to encourage kids from a very young age to um, um, be helpful and model the behavior. Um, um, community work shouldn't just be done to get kids into college, but it should be done the moment they get to kindergarten, teach them how to be loving and kind and, and, and empathetic towards others. And um, the ability like to deal with bullies, this is something that has plagued our society for so long, where bullies have gotten away with murder for too long. So as a victim of torture, one of the, the, the biggest thing, um, the inability most people have is the lack of courage, the courage that it takes to ask for help. So if you're in a position to help those who are less fortunate, who are victims of torture, who are victims of bullying, reach out to those people because the ability to ask for help is sometimes lacking. Thank you. Oh, thank you. Thank you, um, Jocelyn. And since I have known you for a while, I understand where you're coming from. Let me say to everybody before I close the room, I love you and thank you for coming. It is a blessing that you come and take part in these discussions with me every week because they educate me and, uh, and I hope they educate you. And I'm going to do my baby best to get us from a club to a house and uh, get us into a place where continue these valuable discussions. So thanks. And once again, I love you all. I love you, Dr. Francine. And thank you as well for joining.